All right. Well, I know that today we're going to be studying the birth of Jesus through just a little bit different text than we normally do. I don't know how familiar Galatians 4 is to most of us, especially in relation to the birth of Christ. Uh, But other than that, pausing to look at the birth of Jesus in the month of December, it is as predictable as me putting on 10 pounds of extra fluff in the winter. Okay, The Hawkeyes getting blown out in the Big Ten Championship game, me adding 10 pounds of fluff in the winter in church, talking about Jesus, the birth of Christ in December. Those things are about as predictable as it comes. And things that are predictable in life, they are, generally speaking, they, they don't tend to stir us or capture our attention in the same way as things that are new and novel and fresh. This is just the way that life works. Like when I came and I told you that we're talking about the birth of Jesus, how many of you were like, yes, this is the year we finally talk about the birth of Jesus. No, when, when, th- when we've heard things before, it is so easy for us to stop listening and to tune out and to think, well, this isn't really for me. I already know that. You know, when you've seen the same political ad like 50 times, you tune out. You stop listening. That's just the way that life works. It takes something fresh and new and novel to, to grip us and to grab our attention. This past weekend, uh, my family and I, we were watching some football at our house. And the TV was on and this new political ad came out for Donald Trump. At least I think it was new. It was new. It was new to my kids. They had never seen it before. So it was new. It was fresh. It was novel to them. And so they were like locked in. Okay. You would have thought that this was like the premiere of a new Star Wars movie. They were just like locked in. They were loving it. And it was so funny because in this ad, uh, you see Donald Trump. He's looking very presidential. It might have even been some footage from his time in office. And then at some point in the commercial, there's a, a coffin that kind of rolls by the screen. And there's a flag draped over. I think it was some sort of military service. And, and then at some point, a picture of Joe Biden flashes on the screen. And the commercial gets over. And I wasn't really paying attention. I was somewhere else. And uh, they come running over to me. And they're like, Dad, 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 Dad. When did Joe Biden die? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Like, I don't, I honestly, I don't think he's dead. Um, I, if you know me, you know I do live under a rock. But I'm like, I, I just feel like I would know. Like, if he was dead, I just feel like I would know. And they're like, no, we just saw it on the TV. Joe Biden is dead and jo- Donald Trump is the president. <laughs> and I'm like... Okay, what in the world are we talking about? They're like, yeah, there was a coffin (laughs) and Joe Biden's picture and Donald Trump. And I'm like, you guys, I just, I don't think that that was what the commercial was about. But the point is, like, it was new, it was fresh, it was novel to them. So they were just locked in and they were soaking up. They didn't understand it, but they were locked into it. And, and they were buying, like, whatever, whatever was being sold, they were buying it hook, line, and sinker. Because new and novel, it sells. It does. So why is it that every year in the church, we trot out the same message, the same old story about the birth of Christ every single year? Why not do something new? And fresh and exciting. Like, why not talk about something else for a change? Or why not get some reindeer and have some reindeer on the stage? Or build a barn? 
Why not just do something fresh and novel? Why is it every, every year, right around the exact same time, we stop and we talk about the birth of Jesus? And before we get into Galatians chapter 4 this morning and talk about the birth of Christ, I want to just take a few minutes and address that very question by giving you three things to consider about why every year we continue to talk about the birth of Jesus. Okay, three reasons. Number one is this. God becoming a man is the most astonishing event ever. God becoming a a, a human being, like the creator of the universe, the, the eternal, immortal, invisible God, taking on flesh, being born of a teenage girl in the tiny little country of Israel, in the tiny little town of Bethlehem, Actually becoming a human being, that is the most astonishing event in all of human history. And no matter how many times we talk about it, it deserves to be talked about again. And it should capture our hearts every time. You know, think about this. Like, I can't even really fathom what this would be like. But just imagine for one second that, like, in real life, this week... God himself, like actually creator of the universe, God, is born this week in Des Moines in a hospital. I can't even get my brain to fathom that. And then you think, when would we stop talking about that? When would that get old? Like, my dad still tells stories about my high school cross-country meets. I'm like 38 years old. Like, Dad, I haven't run in a decade I mean, God being born in the flesh, it's the most incredible thing, the most astonishing thing. And we should never get over that. We should never get over the birth of Jesus. The second is this, the whole Bible anticipates the birth of Christ. Like the, the totality of Scripture, all, all of the Old Testament, it all anticipated and pointed to the coming of Christ, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to be a church that is rooted in the word of God, then in one sense, we're always going to be coming back to the coming of Christ. We will often be looking at the birth of Jesus because the entire Bible, all of the scriptures, they point ahead to the birth of Christ. You know, in Luke 24, after Jesus, so Jesus, he's, he's already died and resurrected. He's on the road to Emmaus. And he meets some of his disciples on the road, and they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him quite yet. But he starts up a conversation with him, and they're like trying to wrap their minds around everything that has happened with the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Their minds are blown. They're trying to put the puzzle pieces together. And here's what Jesus does. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, okay, so all of the Old Testament, that's what Jesus is saying here, he interpreted for them all. All the things concerning himself in the scriptures. All the things that were concerning his arrival in the world. His coming to them, his death, and his resurrection. He explains all of it because the scriptures all pointed to Christ. The the arrival of Jesus, it's the north star of the scriptures. It orients around Christ. And so it only makes sense that we would regularly stop and, and, and focus 
on the birth of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. Third is this. Why do we stop and talk about the birth of Jesus? It is because people need Jesus, not Santa. People need Jesus, not Santa. And here's what I mean. Okay, The entire month of December in our culture, it is dominated by a suffocating consumerism. Every month is a little bit that way, but December especially, it's dominated by an absolutely never-ending, like anxiety-inducing, suffocating consumerism. You have an endless barrage of messages, like no matter where you turn, you have an endless barrage of messages telling you about all of the things that you absolutely must have this holiday season. And then on top of that, you have the endless stress of buying all of these presents for these family members that you don't know all that well. And so we're all like running around like chickens with our heads cut off. And we're trying to figure out how to buy things for all these people that, first of all, like we don't know them that well. So we're kind of like guessing at what they might want. But then everybody already has all of the stuff that they need anyways. So you're just like running around frantically stressed out trying to figure out like how do I buy stuff for all these people that already have all of the things that they needed. And when they needed them, they bought them themselves. So now what do I do? And then we're thinking like on top, okay, so if it's not stuff, if we can't cram any more stuff into people's hands, how about experiences? And you're like, well, how do you buy experiences for the people that already do all the things that they want to do? And we're just racking our brains to figure out like, how can we possibly cram any more junk and stuff and experiences into this culture and this society that is so bloated with consumerism already that you're like, I don't even know how to, how to get, I don't even know what to do. Where do we even go? And this is what dominates our culture in the month of December. And if you're not really intentional to fight against it, it's what dominates your family too. Okay. But people are suffocating under consumerism, trapped in greed And what we need is not more consumerism. We don't need more Santa. We need Christ. The world actually needs Christ. Like the the things, the gifts, the experiences are not, they're not going to like fix the hole in our hearts. They're not going to satisfy. And don't get me wrong. I love presents. We give our kids presents. But we, we actually need Jesus. We need our hearts to be captivated By the same old story of the gospel, the same old story of Christ coming to the world to save us from our sin and the guilt and the shame that comes with it. We need our hearts to be turned to the Lord Jesus. Okay, and it's for those reasons that every year in the month of December, we stop and we remember once again the coming of Christ. Now, this year. We're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus through just a slightly unfamiliar text for most of us, I would assume, as it relates to the birth of Jesus in Galatians chapter 4. Okay, in, in the book of Galatians, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a number of churches in a region called Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. And the region of Galatia is modern day Turkey. Okay, so just north of Syria. And the reason that Paul wrote this letter to these churches in Galatia was to address a concern that he had about just the basic ideas that they were believing as a church. The the basic doctrine of the church or the ideas that they 
were formed around, rallied around, gathering around, those basic ideas were being threatened by lies. And the Apostle Paul was writing to encourage and exhort them in the truth of the very basic message of the gospel. The good news of the coming of Christ. And the good news of his death and resurrection and what it means for us. And how we can be saved and forgiven through faith in Christ. Okay? Paul wrote this letter to address concerns that he had about a church that was moving away from the very basic, simple, pure message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was writing to help protect and preserve that pure gospel message. He says this in Galatians 1 verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. You're turning away to a different message, some sort of different truth that you're being moved towards. Not that there is another gospel, there is no other truth, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel message of Christ. And he's writing to express his concern for them. And he says this in Galatians 1.8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach or, or proclaim to you a gospel or a message, contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. He says, no matter who tries to persuade you, do not lose your grip on the pure, simple message of Christ. Let that gospel distorter be cursed. Reject him. In the entire letter of Galatians, it's focused on preserving and protecting the pure, simple, straightforward message of the gospel. That it is by God's grace, through faith, in Christ, that we have salvation. This is the only place in the world where we will find salvation, forgiveness of our sins before God. And by the time we get to Galatians chapter 4, where Paul is at, he's already made the case for the gospel. He's explained a lot of the gospel mechanics, okay? How it actually works that we are saved through faith in Christ. But now what he's going to do is he's going to make an argument for what we actually possess in Christ. Like, what do we have in Jesus Christ through faith? Okay? He is explaining what Christ has come to give us. And as we study our text in Galatians 4, and as we study the birth of Jesus throughout the Christmas season, what we're going to do is this. We're going to answer one simple question about the birth of the Lord Jesus this year, which is this. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come? That's it. Why is it that Jesus took on flesh, was born of a woman, under the law, and stepped into our world? And we're going to answer that question through four points that the Apostle Paul is making in our text in Galatians 4. Okay? Reason number one. Why did Jesus come? Christ came to grant us adoption as sons. Christ came to actually adopt us into the family of God as sons. 
We can circle back to our text here. And what Paul does is he begins, so Paul's going to begin with a statement. And in his statement, he's talking about, he first begins talking about children, okay? And we don't want to hyper-spiritualize what he's saying. He's actually talking about, like, real-life physical children. And what he says is this. Now, I say that as long as the heir is a child, the one who's going to inherit everything from his dad, as long as he is a child, meaning a, a young child, he differs in no way from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, instead he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, now he's going to draw a spiritual comparison. In the same way, when we were children, again, this is a spiritual reality now, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christ came so that we could receive adoption as sons into the family of God, that we could be permanently in the family of God for all of eternity. Now, here's a little bit of... Uh, Jewish culture for you, it, it comes in handy to understand just a little bit of Jewish culture in the illustration that Paul is making. So what Paul is doing is he's using something that would have been very familiar in Jewish culture to help us understand what it means that we are adopted in his sons through Christ. Okay, And so first of all, here's the illustration that Paul uses. He's going to use a parallel where he's going to give us a physical reality or a worldly illustration and then parallel that to a spiritual reality. In the worldly illustration, the physical reality that he explains is this. And this has to do with the, the, the way that a Jewish home would have operated 2,000 years ago. Okay, When they were young kids, 2,000 years ago, a young Jewish male, a young Jewish boy, he would have been the eventual heir to the inheritance of his parents, okay? He would have been the eventual rightful heir to whatever riches they had. But while he was a child, that little boy, he would have been no different than a slave. And in the home, he would have been under the guardianship or under the oversight of someone who was a guardian. And that guardian would have overseen both slaves or servants in their home as well as sons. And he would have treated them the exact same. He would have told them both what to do. And it doesn't matter that that child could have been an heir to like a massive inheritance. He, he could have a massive inheritance eventually one day coming to him. But as long as he was a child, he had no rights to that inheritance, and he had no rights that were any different than the slave who was under the guardian. They would have been treated equally at that point in time, as long as the heir is a child. Okay? But then there was a point in time when the father would, would set a specific time in Jewish culture, typically 12 years old, and the boy would essentially then step out from under that guardian, he would step into manhood. Those of you that have a 12-year-old boy, you're thinking, man, that feels early. But he would step into sonship in a way that he didn't previously have it. 
okay? And now he would no longer be under that guardian, and he would have access to and rights for the inheritance and, and all of the rights and responsibilities that would come with sonship. And Paul says, just like that, we too, we were once children. And now here's the spiritual reality that Paul is explaining. And he says, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. Galatians 4.3. We were children, spiritually speaking, we were children under the slavery of the elements of the world. What he's saying is we are under the guardianship of the elements of the world. Super weird phrase. Probably not one you used this week. But what it means is that we were under the guardianship, enslaved under the basic moral teachings of the law. That's the idea. Whether that's the written law or the law that God has imprinted on our hearts through the conscience. He says we we were like children and we were enslaved underneath a guardian, which is the law. And the basic moral teachings of the law. And what he's saying is this. I want to be really clear about this. He's saying that for every single one of us, there's a point in our lives. And for humanity, broadly speaking, there there was a, a season of humanity where we were all... Trapped in slavery underneath the guardianship of the law. And and through that, we were enslaved to our sin. And as those who are under the guardian of the law, enslaved to sin, the point is this. We did not have any inheritance. We were trapped under the guardianship of the law, enslaved to our sin, and absolutely, completely bankrupt. No different than slaves. No inheritance. And headed towards hell. Okay, but then Galatians 4 says this, but when the time came to completion, he's saying the time set by God the Father, there is a time set by God the Father when God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He says God the Father set a time when we would no longer be under the guardian, enslaved to our sin under the law, but instead we would step into sonship through faith in Christ. And through that, we would now have all of the rights and the inheritance of sons. No longer dead in our sin, no longer enslaved under a guardian, but all of the rights and inheritance of sons. And the way that it comes to us is through faith in Jesus. Through God's Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from that guardian, to set us free, and to give us sonship. I think it's important for us to to understand here too, God, he set that time in eternity past. This was not plan B. This was not God just on the fly trying to figure things out. How, How do I fix it now that they've blown it? In eternity past, God set a time when Christ would come into humanity and redeem us and rescue us out of slavery under the law. And we would be adopted into the family of God. Adopted permanently, eternally, as sons with all of the rights and the responsibilities and the inheritance of sons. 
That is what Paul is saying. We get to be the people of God because Christ has come. Now, some of you might be thinking, but I'm a woman. Don't you mean sons and daughters of God? And this is really important. The answer to that question is no. All of us, men and women alike, in this sense that that Paul is talking about in Galatians 4, we are all adopted as sons into the family of God. It's one of those places in the Bible where it's not okay to be gender neutral. Okay? What Paul says and what he means here is very important. You are sons of God. And I'll explain why that's important. But first of all, I just want to remind you, this does cut both ways, so don't get all in a huff. Uh, The church is referred to as the bride of Christ, so men, you too, are also a bride. But here's why this is so important, that we don't gender neutralize sonship, okay? In Jewish culture, the way that inheritance worked is this. Do you know who received inheritance? The sons, and only the sons. A full inheritance would go to the sons. And so in Christ, Paul's making a really important statement, okay? When he says that we are adopted into God's family as sons through faith in Christ, what he's saying is this. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There is, no impartia- or, uh, there is no partiality with God. When it comes to the inheritance that we have through Christ, every man, woman, and child, we have it equally through Jesus Christ. We are adopted in as sons, receiving the full inheritance of Christ. That is a big deal. It's a wonderful truth. And the first reason that Jesus came, it it is to grant us adoption into the family of God as sons. It's why we get to call him Father. And with that, he came to redeem us from under the law so that we would no longer be slaves under a guardian. And he came to give us the full rights and the full inheritance that comes with being a son of God. Jesus came to make us sons of God. But why else did Jesus come? Reason number two, Jesus came to give us the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Christ came to actually give us the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. Okay, Jesus came so that God would not just physically dwell among us for a few years and then be gone forever. He came and so that when he left, he could send the Spirit to dwell among every single believer in Christ. To dwell inside every single believer in Christ. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6, he says, And because you are sons, because you've been adopted into the family of God through Jesus, through faith in Christ, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He's given us the Spirit of God. In our hearts. And this is what what Paul's referring to here. If you are a believer in Christ, not only are you a son of God, but you actually are a brand new creation in Jesus Christ who has the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. How often do you think about that? 
You actually have the Spirit of God in you. You are a brand new creation in Christ through the Spirit. And the way that God makes us a brand new creation in Christ, it is through the Spirit. When we come to believe in Christ, okay, when we try, when we confess our sin and confess Christ as Lord and trust in Him and His work, His finished work, dying on the cross in our place, rising from the dead to conquer death. When we trust in Him at that very moment, God actually seals us in our hearts with the Spirit of God. He doesn't just grant us forgiveness. He doesn't just give us eternal life. He makes us brand new with the Spirit of God inside of us. One of the most remarkable truths in the world is that if you're a believer, you're actually a different kind of person. You're a different kind of creature. You're a different kind of creation than everybody else in the, in the world who is not a Christian. You have the Spirit of God who you receive through faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, In him we have also received an inheritance. Okay, there's this inheritance that Jesus has come to give us. Because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. God planned this all. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. And it's all for the glory of God. And then verse 13, in him... Not only did you receive an inheritance through faith in Christ, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. At that moment of faith in Christ, we receive God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Jesus came to give us the Spirit in our hearts as a believer in Christ. Not only are you a son, but you are a different type of person. You are a brand new creation. You are made new through the Spirit of God. Okay, and that Spirit that Jesus sends, that He has put into our hearts through faith in Christ, He says it's a Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. The word Abba, it means daddy. It's a word of great intimacy. Now, that does not mean that you need to pray by addressing God as daddy. Okay? Jesus, what does he teach his disciples? How does he teach him to pray? They say Jesus, they, like his disciples, they asked Jesus to teach them to do one thing and one thing only. And that was how to pray. He said, Jesus, how do we pray? And he said, our father, hallowed be thy name. But what is the point that he's given us this spirit that cries out inside of us, Abba, Father? The point is, it is a spirit of real intimacy with God who is really our Father, our Dad. We have intimacy with God through the Spirit. And intimacy like you cannot replicate in any other 
relationship. The, the thing that is going to get closest to it is probably the relationship between a husband and a wife. Perhaps a relationship between a parent and a child. But, but the type of intimacy that we can have with God himself, because he's given us a spirit that cries out intimately to him, Dad, it is incredible. Our Heavenly Father is our Dad in an even more real and intimate way than even our earthly father. And I love my dad. I mean, my dad and I, we have such a great friendship, a great relationship. We spend a lot of time together. But I can't even begin to explain how much more intimacy I have with God. God knows me so much better than even my own dad. It is astonishing. And the degree of just emotional processing that I can walk through with God is so much greater than even my relationship with my dad, which is great. I mean, we can have so much more raw and real and constant conversation with God our Father than we could ever have with any human being. That is just how intimate God is with those who he has placed his spirit inside. It is a spirit of intimacy. There's nothing hidden from God. There's nothing at all that's hidden from him. And we can be completely intimate with God. In our prayer lives, we can be absolutely transparent with the Lord. Our emotions, our feelings, we can pour those out to God with complete transparency and process through them with him. We, we process with God. You know, I think a lot of people, they have no emotional range, okay? Because they, they, they just aren't used to actually processing anything with anybody. So there's like no emotional range, but, but God has actually placed a spirit of intimacy within our hearts so that we can actually process and f- like feel real things and work through them together, walk through them together with God our Father. With nothing hidden. He has given us a spirit of intimacy with him. That is life-changing truth when we understand that. And when we walk in that intimacy, there's nothing better, nothing more important, more powerful than the relationship that we can have with God our Father. He is our Heavenly Father. And the second reason that Jesus came into the world, it was to give us the Holy Spirit in our hearts that cries out to him. He came to give us intimacy with God. And it's an intimacy you cannot replicate through anything else. Reason number three, why did Jesus come into the world? 
Reason number three, here's the deal. If you want to find out what reason number three is, you've got to come back next week. Okay? Hate to do it to you. But I want to close our time with two points of application. Two action steps that I want to just encourage you in as we consider the birth of Christ and why he has come into the world. I think, I think God actually wants us to do something with these truths. Okay? So two things. Number one, be intimate with God. Be intimate with God. Maybe make it your focus this coming year. I don't know if anybody sets goals around the new year. I actually really like to goal set around the new year to just take stock of life and think about the past year and plan for the year ahead. And I would just encourage you, maybe make it one of your goals this year to grow in real intimacy with God. To to learn how to like walk in life, in real emotional intimacy with God. To not just kind of be stuck in this same narrow band of kind of lifeless, endless loop of tasks, but to grow in intimacy with God. Here's what I mean. Do you cherish your relationship with God? Do you feel close with the Lord? Do you have that emotional joy and intimacy, connection with God? When? When do you experience that? How often? Once a month? Once a year? Once a day? We want to experience on a consistent basis just the joy and intimacy of connecting with God our Father. And I know, I'm going to encourage you to even just think a little bit about this. Maybe some of you had this at some point. Okay, so my guess is most of you, when you came to Christ, if you can look back on when you came to Christ or, or perhaps when you really feel like you kind of transformed, experienced taking ownership of your faith for the first time, whatever it might have been, you, you like kind of came into your own in your walk with the Lord. When you think back to that, okay, my guess is that for most of you, it was not just some like robotic, like convincing that this is true, therefore I need to do it. Like, okay, facts, yep, the, the facts of Christianity line up. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I just have to kind of do Christianity. My guess is that when, when most of you first kind of stepped into your own relationship with God for the first time, you probably felt like this is the greatest thing in the world. Like, it is the greatest thing in the world that I like actually get to have a relationship with the God of the universe. I actually get to interact with God. And then you learn how to pray. And you're like learning how to actually take your heart to the Lord and pour it out to Him consistently. And you're in the Word and it's rich and it's meaningful. Okay? But then at some point, it's so easy for us to just kind of revert to this place where it's stale and crusty and lifeless. And again, just an endless loop of tasks. That's all life is. We get up, we do the same thing day after day. And what's missing is real intimacy with God. And I just want to encourage you. 
Pursue intimacy with God. Make it an aim this year. Make it a goal. Open up your Bible and expect that God's in it. Like expect that God wants to richly encourage your heart, speak to your heart, connect with you in his word. Get, get away from kind of the, the just normal daily routine that you have and get alone with some time with the Lord in prayer and expect him to be intimate with you. Have a real, actual, emotional relationship with God. Have real conversation, pouring out your heart to the Lord. Just feed the spirit of intimacy that God has planted inside of your heart. Do not starve that spirit of intimacy. Feed the spirit of intimacy. Okay, don't settle for something less than that. Pursue intimacy with God. It's what Christ came for. To give us that spirit. Second is this. One last point of application here. Be intentional about the birth of Jesus. Be intentional during this time of the year. To actually point, first of all, your own heart towards the birth of Christ, towards Jesus. But also, especially for those of you that are parents, for example. Be pointing the hearts of your kids to Jesus. Be intentional with this. Even if your kids are older or grown or whatever it might be. Or you have uh, coworkers or roommates or whatever, whatever it might be. Be intentional to point people to the birth of Christ. Okay? And if you are a parent, especially a parent of, uh, with, with kids still in the home, I want to encourage you really specifically with this. Have an actual plan to very intentionally take advantage of the next two weeks to point your kids to Jesus. Okay, to the miracle of his birth and his death and his resurrection. If you don't have anything, if, if you don't yet have some sort of plan for like every day, you're going to do something with your kids to just point them to the birth of Jesus, point them to the birth of Jesus. I want to encourage you, okay, go home from church today, sit down with your husband or your wife and just talk about it and come up with a plan together. And I trust that you guys can just put your heads together and come up with a little plan. How are we going to do this? What are we going to do? But do it. Okay? Have a plan for how you want to point your kids to Jesus Christ during the Christmas season. And do that every year. Okay? If you want some ideas, you could ask one of our pastors. You could ask one of our wives. You could Google Advent ideas. I trust your ability to discern good ones from bad ones. But there's plenty of stuff out there. Okay? The point is just this. Be intentional. Do something. Take the time to consider how you can just point your kids to the birth of Christ very intentionally. Okay? Don't let their hearts be stolen by the culture. Don't let them grow, grow up thinking that the best part about Christmas is the gifts. Now, they're going to think that, but don't go down without a fight. Okay? Be intentional to point them to Jesus and have a plan. Come together, have a plan. And see it through for the next two weeks. Let's go ahead and pray.